From the beautiful Art House Studios in Nashville, Tennessee, this is The Pivot, stories of people who've made a change. Welcome to The Pivot. My guest today has asked to remain anonymous. He's a refugee from the nation of Eritrea, and his story is wild. But before we get to that, about a month ago, I ended a podcast saying, we'll be back next week, and we weren't. Here's why. Two days after I posted that episode, an old man ran a stop sign directly in front of my car while I was doing about 40 miles an hour, and a few seconds later, as my daughter Charlotte, who was in the car, described it, uh, we learned that airbags smell like burnt popcorn. Uh, she was fine, thankfully, but I had a concussion, whiplash. I had a stack of paperwork to navigate and a car to replace. Because of all that, I had to reschedule some interviews, yada, yada, yada. But maybe more importantly, due to the concussion, I had to rest. And if I'm honest, that's not something I do well or very often. And truthfully, that episode that I had just done with Charlie Peacock about a month and a half ago, uh, it's really rocked me. I'm a hardworking guy, and I like to have a lot going on. Uh, It's an exciting season for me. A lot of the doors that I'm really passionate about have been opening for me. It's the exact opposite of the season I was in a couple years ago that led to me starting this podcast. But here's the thing. I've recognized how much of my identity and value I'm getting from being the guy who spins all those plates. And I don't need to get my identity from these things, because I've been here before. I know this song. When the season ends, as all seasons do, I'll be right back where I was, untethered and spiraling. Build your house on sand or build it on the rock, you know? So thanks to the concussion, I was given the gift of just a little bit of time, a few days. I couldn't look at screens. I couldn't really hold involved conversations. But I could think about just how thin some parts of my life have become. So now I'm trying to be proactive in how to shrink my life. What can I cut out? What can I outsource? How can I set my life and my home and my schedule up in new ways to better serve my family, my friends, and my callings? So with all that going on, I just pressed pause on the podcast for a couple weeks. I missed it, and I hope you did too, but it was the right thing to do. I won't promise I won't do it again soon, either. One of the things that I'm thinking about is trying to put a bit of a team in place to help with the production of this thing, because it's just me, and honestly, it's, it, it's a lot. Um, I've also been thinking, and I've been encouraged in this, about how to move beyond just sharing stories on here. How can I use this platform to help equip, to give some tools and practical insight? I've got some really fun ideas and dreams, but who knows? It's all on the table right now. So there's that. But let me tell you, I have been dying to share this interview with you. I have not been able to stop thinking about it, uh, nor have I stopped being thankful that my guest was willing to trust me with his story. My guest today is anonymous for some reasons that you'll hear in this interview. He's currently pursuing American citizenship, and he hopes to return to Eritrea someday as a visitor. And the story you're about to hear may put some of those things in jeopardy where they to become known. So I'm just going to call him my friend from Eritrea. Some things to be aware of as you listen. He is from the nation of Eritrea in North Africa. He has been granted legal and permanent asylum here in the U.S. To get here, he was smuggled through 18 different countries on an incredibly, terribly dangerous journey. That's the story that you're going to hear today. Maybe the crazy thing about this was just how much fun it was, like how funny he is in telling these stories. He is super charming and humble. He's just laughing while telling the most crazy, insane parts of this thing. Uh, It was nuts, and it was a real joy. It was really fun. And not to get political at all, at all. But every time that I see a photo now of immigrants and refugees at the border, which we all see every day, I can't not think of this. Those photographs and our media on both sides, any side, they're incapable of telling the whole story. Our one-hour-long interview can't manage that. I don't presume to have any answers for policy or anything, but I do know that no one is leaving their home risking death for themselves and their families flippantly. These are real people with often, usually, incredibly difficult stories. And whatever we do, we cannot deny these children of God their dignity or personhood. Not the refugees, not the border patrol. We are all made in the image of our loving creator. And everything that we do, policy, voting, anything, has to stem from that. 
which does lead me very briefly to talk about Compassion International. I don't want to turn my friend's story into a pitch, believe me, but he talks often about the danger and poverty rampant in the 18 countries that he traveled through. I looked them up on Compassion's website, and they operate in 12 of the nations that we're about to hear about. There are things that we can do to help alleviate the suffering of poverty and corruption around the world, and one of those is Compassion International. For $38 a month, you can sponsor a child, provide health care, education, food, clothing, and share with them the gospel of Jesus. There are a lot of kids in Ethiopia and Colombia and El Salvador, Honduras, and Mexico who are in need today, right now. Please visit Compassion.com slash The Pivot. Again, that's Compassion.com slash The Pivot and free a child from poverty in Jesus' name. Okay, that's enough of my yakking. I'm really glad to be back. And uh, I'm really glad to introduce you now to my friend from Eritrea. So let me start begin like say some of my background. I'm from Eritrea in East Africa. Well, it's a small country, well, the size of Tennessee, stretched along the Red Sea. It's very different. Uh, there, uh, Eritrea got independent in 1991, and um, so you were how old? Uh, uh, well, at the time of independence, I was like uh, 10. Okay. So, what does that mm. look like for a 10 year old? Uh well, uh, I grew up in Ethiopia. Oh, okay. Well, then it, they were the same country, one country, but after 91, it was a Eritrea was an independent. So you never moved, but one day you were in Ethiopia, the next day... Oh, no, I moved. I was living in the capital of Ethiopia, in Addis Ababa. Okay. Then, after Eritrea became independent in 1991, uh, but we moved to Eritrea in 94. Got it, okay. To Asmara, the capital of Eritrea. Uh, then it was just a capital of a province. Got it. Okay, the independence was, if it was considered as a civil war, it was one of the longest civil wars in the world which it took from 1961 to 91, 30 years. Holy cow. Yeah, and uh, Ethiopia before was like, well, it was an Italian colony. I mean, it's a long story how it came to be, but Eritrea was an Italian colony from 1890 till the Second World War. The Italians were defeated by the British, and the British were there for like 10 years. Then it was, Eritrea was federated with Ethiopia. Okay. Emperor Haile Selassie had support from U.S. at that time. So it was, I mean, the voice of the Eritrean society was obviously silenced at that time. They were voiceless. Then after Emperor Haile Selassie fall by a communist regime in 1975, the communist regime was supported by the Soviet Union. All those weapons were raining on basically the people. The people suffered greatly, and that kind of catalyzed it and... 50,000 men and women, one-third of them, women, defeated the biggest army at that time in Africa in 91. But I, you, so you were a kid during the Civil War. Yes. Yeah. Like at the, the height of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. At the end, actually, like at the end of it. I, I was born in 84, then I, I became an independent in 91. Okay, when we moved in, everybody was hopeful. Economy was on gear, uh, you know, Everybody was working and all that. Things were looking very great. But just after a few years of peace, in 98, when I was in high school, war broke out with Ethiopia again. Hmm. Uh, over a border dispute. It's But anyways, it shouldn't have went to a full-blown war, but it did. Hmm. It said it's the biggest war in Africa since the Second World War. For real. This was fully mechanized uh, air force and all that kind of war. It was it like in the town where you lived? Uh, it wasn't in the capital, but it was in the border. Yeah. Considering, I'll try to give you a clue. Eritrea is like a 3 million population at that yeah. time. And Ethiopia at that time was like 80 million. So basically, every Eritre able Eritrean had to go to war. Wow. Ethiopia was affected, of course. It, it was said that both countries, don't forget those countries are one of the poorest countries in the world. Yeah. They were spending a million dollars a day during the war. That they didn't have. Yeah. And they were buying weapons, uh, like major 
powers would buy weapons, like aircrafts, uh, tanks, and all that, which is way beyond for their economy. So it was taking its toll hmm. on Eritrea's economy. I mean, after the, especially after the war, anyways, its effect is on the people. Yeah. And the government would have to enlist everyone in the military service open-endedly as long as the threat is there. Yeah. Which is understandable in some way, but at the same time, uh, not everybody is able to withstand that when you're not paid and serving for you don't know how long. Yeah. So after I finished high school, I went to military service, took my military training, then went to college. Then after that, I started also serving. I was a relatively comfortable situation. I was working in a construction company. Some were just in the trench. Yeah, you for, were on the front lines. Yeah, yeah. A lot were in, you know, in the trench for decades, wow. uh, basically. So this situation drove a lot of Eritreans out of their country. It wasn't allowed. You were not going to go through you know, the airport. Everybody was crossing the border. It was not a, a good way to do it because borders are guarded. And there's a lot of dangers in there. Uh, you're trying to cross a uh, war zone, which Eritrea and Ethiopia were just right until last year, which they got peace when a new government came in Ethiopia. They were basically on a cold war. Hmm. Where we're just like, you know, who knows when full war broke out again. Yeah. So everybody's just waiting for it to happen the whole time. Yeah. From 2000 until last year, wow. July 2018. So I left uh, Eritrea in 2010. Uh, 2010, went to Sudan, went across to Sudan, which is, uh, in my opinion, was safer because that wasn't really a war zone. But so how there, did you, like you drove, like just got in the car and mm, took off? No, I had to arrange through um, smugglers, basically. Uh, to get out of Eritrea? Yep, yep. Because it's uh, there's a lot of things. It's, it's uh, as I said, it's a highly militarized country, so it can't just go from place to place and say you're just you know wandering around. <laughs> so so you had to get you had to find smugglers yep. and then get smuggled out. Yep. How do you find smugglers? Well, uh, the way I did it was, which it took me a year and a half to find these people, were through friends who okay. whom they took, and my friends told me yeah. that this they're reliable. Although they were expensive, $5,000. $5,000 in Africa is a lot of money. Yeah. yeah. And uh, fortunately, I, well, I had parents who could pay it well. Uh, but I paid them. So it went through the car uh, to around the border, but then another vehicle. And uh, they have all kinds of, of arrangements, but like, the vehicle approached one point and another vehicle from Sudan with fully armed men approached the vehicle that we are and just you switch into another vehicle and they just start driving crazy then. <laughs> so you're just sitting in this car that's just screaming through the hills. Yep, yep, yep. With dudes with guns. Guns, yeah. I have like fully automatic like uh, military weapons. Uh, Is it just you? Is it a group of people? Uh, the group of people. Yeah, people, not that I know, but like the smugglers have arranged for some people to go. And at this point, are you still in Eritrea or is this, have you crossed into Sudan? Uh, this is the border. Okay. The border area. I can't say it's really in Eritrea or Sudan, but it's somewhere in the border. Got it. So this vehicle came in and it's like screaming around, you know, like a rally vehicle through the bushes and all that because they're holding their weapons because the Eritrean military could hit them for smuggling its citizens. But then it was very strange. Well, I knew about it. There is um, armed, stateless Arabs in Sudan border, or from all the way from Sudan to Egypt. They are stateless, fully armed, with brand new pickup trucks. What they do is they kidnap people hmm. and ask for a ransom for a lot of money, thirty, fifty thousand dollars. If you don't pay, they take your organs, throw in the desert. Oh my gosh. So those, um, we saw them. But anyways, those smugglers uh, that were taking us were armed as well. So that was 
the thing, it took me a while to find those people because if uh, unarmed and basically it's a low profile smuggler is taking you, you those people could take you. Yeah. Yeah. So that was the key thing for me that I had to make sure before I left Eritrea. But so lucky I saw them. They were just passing through in the middle of the desert where we're going. Many pickup trucks just crossing, crisscrossing us to see if there's a weak point. They're so looking that, for people, but, the, but okay. you guys got through. Yeah, we got through. They saw them. They were armed. Even they didn't give up immediately when they saw them. They were armed. They were cross crisscrossing us like speeding in Whoa. the middle of the desert to see if they... What are you if, thinking? Well, I'm thinking they wouldn't be able to take us because I I know a lot of people, have, people I know who've been, I mean, yeah, there was a huge industry of organ harvesting in, in that region, all the way from Sudan to Egypt to Sinai Desert, close to, close to Israel. Uh, but uh, I've heard it stopped now, but thousands of people have lost their lives there. Uh, so anyways, we m managed to get to Khartoum capital of Sudan, waited there for a couple of weeks, you know, checking things out. Then I took a bus, went to the border of Sudan and Ethiopia. No passport, no ID, no nothing. <laughs> I uh, saw the border, just asked people around there, like, you know, I don't know, I'm in Ethiopia, but I don't have a paperwork with me, so how do I cross the border? They told me, oh, yeah. I just don't carry bags. You just cross the border. They they would think you're local who lives around the border. So I did it that way, and I managed just to cross to Ethiopia. Oh, so you were trying to get into into Ethiopia? Ethiopia from Sudan. After, oh, okay. I got yeah, it. I got yeah, it. After, you couldn't walk. Yeah. Yeah. After so you just, had to go the long way. Yeah. Because uh, you couldn't leave Ethiopia without any paperwork. Yeah, leave Sudan or to leave Ethiopia. Sudan. Yeah, yeah, without any paperwork. Yeah. So got into Ethiopia and like I said earlier I grew up in Ethiopia in my childhood so I'm fluent in Amharic in Ethiopian language so and they wouldn't be able to tell with my feature if I'm Eritrean or Ethiopian anyways if I spoke the language fluently so I just blended in with the, the people and got into capital of Ethiopia and I stayed there a few months and I mean I would have stayed there uh, or lived in any African country, but it's, uh, it's not as easy. But you, you can't start life easily in Africa, like from ground zero. But, so I had to leave mm. Ethiopia as well after a few months. So I went to the border of Ethiopia and Kenya, a car. Then I found a smuggler who would take me to Kenya across the border. Again, I don't have a passport. <laughs> oh, my goodness. <laughs> yeah. So what they did was uh, they had a, a truck, a commercial truck taking grains from Ethiopia to Kenya. And what they do is like they kind of create a hollow space in the middle of the truck, like by kind of putting beams in there. Yeah. So they put you in there. Uh, so there's like grain all around. All grain all around. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. And uh, they took us. There were like other two guys with me. Across to Kenya, because the Kenyan securities are also aware of that. Yeah. People being smuggled. So the driver had to drive along the border with Somalia all the way for five days. Uh, oh they God. can't take you out. It's really hot. No. So you stayed in there for five days? Five days. I mean, the, I think it's a dehydration. Yeah, you don't. And total use, darkness. Yeah, no. You don't want to use a restroom. You don't, I mean, you don't use a restroom. Five and you're in days. there with th two other guys? Yeah. How big is the space? Oh, uh, well, I'll say uh, maybe five feet by five feet. Yeah. So you can't lay down, you can't stand no. up? No. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. And you don't know what's happening? Yeah, you don't. You don't, uh, really. I just uh, put full trust. I mean, I, there was an argument with the drivers. I kind of once pushed away the sacks of grains and came out. There was like almost a fight with them because, you know, are you going to guys kill us inside here? What's going on? They said like, no, we just don't want you to get caught. But sometime, one time I just said like, damn it, let it be. And like at night, I got out on the top one of these days and they gave us just a few waters, some biscuits, that's it. 
five oh days. Uh, I mean, I don't know how I made, how we made it. I think it's just that, like the fear or something that kind of makes you hold on. Anyways, five days along the water with Somai. I know that uh, for sure. Then we reached uh, Lamu. Lamu is like in the coast, right where Somalia and Kenya connects. Then we got out and we were driving along the coast of Kenya all the way from Lamu to Mombasa. From Mombasa, then I took a regular bus to Nairobi. So I stayed in Kenya also for a year, uh, hmm. wandering around what's going to happen, you know, how I'm going to make it to life, you know, <laughs> people to stand up on my feet again. Yeah, because yeah. you have... Do you know anybody? Can no. you get a job? Like no, I can't. I mean, there's no job for the locals. I mean, you know, it, I don't know. Like in Africa, especially these days after 2000, you know, seventy uh, percent of the population is under 25, and seventy percent of it, the population. Yep, and some countries is way up. Like Ethiopia is way up, way more. Like Ethiopia is increases two million a year by population, like over a hundred million. And over 80% is under 25. There's basically, like with the economy, you can't imagine there there will be jobs for even for locals, let alone for people who come from outside. Yeah. Yeah, so it's, it's it was, unless you, you have money to start a business. But which, you didn't. No, I mean, not, that's a lot of money. Uh, so after a year... Uh, how do you survive for a year? Well, I had my siblings here that would send me a few. So you had some siblings that were already that were in America. Yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. Oh yeah, all this, even the payments. Had all they that. been smuggled out, or did, were they able to get out before? Yeah, they were. I mean, they left Eritrea, of course, not legally, but they came straight here on a plane. But they, their theirs were way better. Really? Uh, yeah. And the, so, the, did they? Seek asylum here, or they? Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. They were brought here as refugees. Got it. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So from Kenya, I um, again after yeah, I gotta find a smuggler again. <laughs> oh my gosh! And they're so they're sending you money so you can live. Survive. And... Yeah, yeah. I mean, well, they they were not here for a long time, so it's not even easy for them to send me sure. money. Just you know, but I with the money they send me, I can survive. Yeah. I was, yeah. After a year, I've got to find another smuggler again. Oh my <laughs> and this one is expensive one, uh, of course. Uh, he got me a passport, fake passport, whatever. I don't know if it's fake or real. But, uh, anyway. but it wasn't yours. It wasn't mine. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I got this passport and I uh, flew to Dubai. From Dubai, I flew to uh, Brazil. To Sao Paulo. So when you get on the plane, yeah, that's the first time. Have you had you left Africa before? Uh, no, no. So like, what what's going through your mind when you get on the plane to actually leave Africa? It's uh, well, it was a uh, mixed feeling actually. I remember exactly how how it felt uh, when I was on the plane, looking down on the savanna of Nairobi. I was like, wow, I'm living Africa. Like I'm. I mean, I love Africa. I mean, I, even while there, you know, all these things happening, you know, it's kind of, you're living your home, basically. Like, it's, you know, uh, it's it, it was a mixed feeling. You got you want to make it through life. And again, it's, uh, you know, I remember it exactly even how I felt at that time. It wasn't easy anyways. Um, yeah. Yeah. So I uh, got into Dubai, then from Dubai, Actually, like the, at the checkpoint, I mean, Dubai Airport is very strict uh, because it's just kind of a hub for yeah. many airlines. All over the world. All yeah. over the world. It wasn't easy. They kind of made me stay for a few hours. Then they weren't sure. Then. Are you freaking out? Well, I'm hiding it. I, if I... <laughs> <laughs> if, if I On the inside, are you freaking inside out? inside, I am. Definitely, <laughs> definitely. But I was just like trying to look very calm. And where were you trying to get? I was... Uh, I was trying to get, actually, like, my visa was for Chile. So you, you had a fake visa? He, he must be. Yeah, so that's what he told me. So he doesn't tell me. He just tell me it's real. Everything is, like, you know, legal. But I doubt it. But but he tells me what I need to do. From okay. Dubai, the, I have to say I'm going to Chile. He said I ha he has a, a hotel booked for me in Chile for a vacation that I'm a Kenyan businessman. 
uh, going there, and that's he he tells me everything what what I need to say. But my transit was through Brazil, okay, to Chile. So I had a Chile visa. The airport asked me, "What's your hotel? How many days? How many? How much you paying for the hotel for a night? This and this, you know, these kind of questions." I I had it in mind. I told them everything. They believed me. <laughs> got me. That is so nuts. <laughs> they got me on the plane for 16 hours to Sao Paulo. What I was told was to get rid of any documents. Before you leave Brazil? Yeah. Okay. So I got into the toilet. <laughs> Gonna cut my passport, chewed it, all that kind of thing, flashed it in the toilet. Uh, then I got out of the bathroom and there's like federal police like in the airport in the terminal and I basically got acted dumb you know I went to the police I told them like yeah I just like I'm from Eritrea I don't know where I am someone was bringing me here so that's when you were just you here's everything yeah I mean no documents though yeah yeah I'm not showing them I'm just telling them where I'm from yeah that's the only thing. But did you, did you did you have a flight to Chile or no? No, you didn't. That was I, it. That's so it. And then you're like, and you don't have any money. I don't have it. I had money. Okay. I had like six hundred dollars, six seven hundred dollars in me, but but that's not yeah, that's that much. Yeah, but the thing is, I just tell them where I'm from, and I don't know where I am. I don't know where I'm going. I just was brought by someone who was going to give me a job. This was all told to me by the oh. guy who sent me. Okay. <laughs> so, and they say like, okay, took me to the glass, like said, okay, which airline brought you here? And I said, I don't know. It had a little black color in it and white and I don't know. <laughs> I said like, oh, wow, really? Okay, you're going to stay here until you find the airline, the plane that brought you because like it's it's a busy yeah, uh, term uh, like airport, you can see all the planes coming in from all over the world. There, well, I'm not gonna tell them because like they're gonna send me back. Yeah, if I tell them, they were just counting the days, and I was just eating in the terminal, which is very expensive. Mm-hmm. <laughs> then I was like, after I don't know, like two three weeks, I ran out of money. You stayed in the airport for two three weeks. Yeah, that's when I ran out of money. They're, they're watching all my activities. So you there. just and the, where are you sleeping? Oh, just in the ground, just on the floor. Yeah, yeah. And they're letting you? No, they just look at me. I mean, they watching me, of course. But uh, they just like he's gonna give up and tell us. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they're just trying to wait you out. Yeah. Oh yeah, oh yeah, oh yeah. Then I finished my money. Then I kind of stayed around the restaurants when someone trashed their food, I'd take it out and eat it. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Oh, yeah. But I saved $200, though. I didn't finish it because, like, anything could happen. So, you know, I have to have this $200, but I can't spend it. Yeah. Anyway, that's, yeah. like, kind of the last thing. For 45 days, they called me. You were there for 45 days? Yeah, yeah 45 days. They called me and said, like, okay. Uh, what's your name? I just gave them fake names. Like, okay, here's your paper. You can go out in Sao Paulo and uh, go to Catholic Charity, this and this. They'll give you food. Yeah, okay, good. Got out. <laughs> Went to Catholic Charity. They were giving me, you know, food. Uh, and then stay there. Then I called that guy and he said, like, okay, I'll get you someone. I have someone in Brazil. Smuggled all the way. And I waited for, like, I don't know. I was in Brazil for, uh, after the 45 days in the airport, I think I was there for, like, a month and a half in Sao Paulo. Okay. After a month and a half. Uh, with, that, that, with that Catholic charity? Yeah, with the Catholic okay. charity. And then they came. Uh, this guy sent it. said, like, okay, we'll go. I'll take you all the way up to Colombia. It's, it's crazy. I mean, it's like there's this routes. There are like smugglers in every country. Like <laughs> this is all everybody trying to get in. Then at that point, you see a lot of people from different countries. Yeah, oh, I yeah, bet. Yeah, from Cuba, from like uh, India, uh, from all over the world. Like people trying to get to the States. 
Hmm. Yeah, it's 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 crazy. I mean, it's like even everybody's trying to get to America. Yeah, yeah. And there's smugglers who profit out of that, like a lot of people. Oh yeah, yeah. It's it's amazing. It's like the network and everything. It's uh, I was shocked to see all that. I mean, I'm doing it, but at the same time, (laughs) it's like wow, what is this? Like you know, and then um, because I mean, like. I mean, I imagine that's just so foreign, right? That, yeah. That concept. and Oh, yeah. I mean, you just are having to find these people who are... Yeah, I just like try to... And trust your life with people e- you oh, don't know. Oh, yeah. That you, you know you kind of can't totally trust because... Yes, but at the same time, you have, you have to. Yeah, that's your only option. I mean, you don't, you don't have any other way to do it. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, yeah, it's a lot like... But they know each other. Like, they have network. That's what shocked me. I mean, you know, someone could, someone might, you know, want to make money out of taking people from here and here. But what shocked me was, like, their network. They knew each other from this country to another. They're different people, like, you know, relaying you from yeah. place to place. But anyway, so. So, yeah, okay. So, yeah. You're in, so you're in Brazil for a, a month and a half. Yeah. Outside of the airport. Outside the airport. And then what? And then this smuggler takes me, like, on a bus. We went to the Venezuela border. Okay. Venezuela border, then there's like a, the border city, there's a vehicle, Venezuelan military uniforms, took us in a car, <laughs> drove us all the way across Venezuela to Colombia. Were they actual military or were they just I believe so. The... I think they're okay, actual so military, but off. they're driving a civilian vehicle. Got it. Yeah. But they're, I, they had guns. I mean, I, they must be. Yeah, mm. I mean, I don't, there's no way, but they were wearing uniforms and their conf, I can tell by their confidence. I mean, I might be wrong, but they look like that. And, yeah. But anyways, they drove us all across Venezuela to Colombia border. At the border, you know, the smuggler is also with us. The guy taking us, mm. he, he speaks Spanish, Portuguese. We're getting on buses from like city to city. And we get to uh, Medellin. I think we stayed at like a week in Bogota. Then okay. uh, took another bus. I mean, he had to make his connections, make phone calls, make sure they're ready on the other side. Is it the same group of people the whole time? Uh, well, there are people adding up. Okay. Yeah. So like, it's kind of like, they kind of like, there are people like, you know, from there and there. And it, but the number is growing. We stayed there for like a, almost a month, I guess. Totally, I think we were a month in in Colombia, so a week in Bogota, maybe two three weeks in um, in Melodine. Then from there we go to Turbo Colombia. Uh, Turbo Colombia is like it's it's very different place. I mean, it's like shacks. It's it's naturally it's a beautiful place. It's like in the beach, a tropical beach, but poverty is like you know yeah. rampant there, and uh, like more so than Africa. Yeah, they're like. You see all Latin America is like it's, uh, you know, Latin Americans. But these people, they're, they're Latin Americans, but like they're Africans. I mean, mm-hmm. they're, they're, they are basically Africans, but like Colombians. It was very strange for me how they live in different places. But anyways, from there, there's more people waiting there, actually. when we So how many the, people are in the sort of, in, in, that this, place? in this crew with in, you at this in, point? At this point, I think he's like... Uh, 30 people. Okay. Yeah. From all over. We made a lot of Cubans there as well. So they got a boat at night. It's not a small boat. So like 30 people in this boat. We hopped on it. I think it's in Pacific Ocean, I believe. No, no, it's on Atlantic side. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So I, I went back. When I came here, I went back to see where Turbo Colombia is. So from there... They took us on a boat to a far side of Colombia, still okay. in Colombia, but on a far side. I was just asking this, why is like, why can't we go through the land? He said like, oh, this is a highly secured place. I mean, this wow. is like, you're going to into Central America. This is where the U.S. especially kind of guards highly, the navies, everything, the land, because like this, you know, drugs and everything, like once they made it through this line, it's easy to go through Central America. So like that's why it's very secure. He left us at that time, the guy who came all the way from us from Brazil. Hmm. So he got us on the boat and he said, there will be people there waiting for you. 
He said, like, you have a walk there. Like, how many, like, three hours? Oh, three hours. Okay, it's fine. We didn't even, we were not even prepared. But anyways, we get there in the middle of the jungle. It rains day and night. You're in the rainforest. Yeah, it's a rainforest, thick rainforest. Like, like go uphill and down, like, with waterfalls, all kinds of things, you know. And you have nothing, you're not carrying anything with you. Exactly. Yeah, I mean, I'm carrying some of my clothes, but that's not what you need for, you know, trekking in the jungle. You need some, you know, safety, even food at least, like, you know, kind of snacks, but nothing. We thought it was three hours, but those guys, they know. So they give you a handful of rice a day, just a handful of rice at night. Just white rice, nothing, just boiled rice. (laughs) From day to day, I mean, I was getting drained. I mean, my energy was getting drained. It's good that there's water there, though. Like, I mean, I, I would have died of thirst, like, sweating like crazy. There. Yeah, oh, I bet. Yeah. And I'm sure it was beautiful. It is. It is. Oh, it's it's gorgeous. Like, I mean, but the thing is, it's a FARC territory. Yeah. If you're familiar with the FARC, the rebels, the Colombian rebels, they're, I think they're, like, communist rebels, something like that. It's in their territory. They took all our cell phones. I mean, I had a cell phone. I, I, I would have loved to take a picture of the place, but you can't. I mean, they took all our <laughs> cell phones. So, and this is in, this is North Colombia or is this Panama at this no, point? North Colombia. Okay, so this yeah. is trying to get into Panama. Into Panama. Okay. Yeah. So at this point, after like I think five days, we we were like sleeping on the on the riverside because that's the only place you can sleep. We kind of find a little bit of sand. Wow. Uh, and I was sleeping there, like raining at me all night. <laughs> I mean, I was tired. Yes. That it like very few people were sleeping actually. Like, yeah. Oh man. N- I not me. Yeah. Yeah. And even if others are tired, first they're scared. I mean, actually, like I don't care. I mean, <laughs> even if like a jaguar pulls me inside into the jaguar, I'm just gonna sleep. Like I'm so tired. Yeah. Just have your way. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> sleeping and it's like this is it was very strange. I heard like a crack, like something like a loud noise. Mm-hmm. And I thought I was dreaming because the FARC was telling us the other day that the government shook them from, from helicopters. And there, in, in my mind, I'm imagining that we're being shot at. And the guy next to me was like, he was trying to wake me up. Wake up, wake up, wake up. And it's like, then I wake up like everybody who had run away. And I wake up and like just moved like 12 feet or something, run 12 feet, a huge tree. The noise I was dreaming was that I thought I was hearing shots was this huge tree cracking. Oh, my goodness. The good thing is that I had time to escape. I mean, a a branch hit me, but a small branch. But this tree was being held by other trees in front of it. Oh, wow. And it fall and it literally crossed the river. Like the the tree. So it's just massive. It's a massive tree. And you know where it landed? Exactly where I was sleeping. Oh my goodness! I my shoes, <laughs> my shoes were like buried in there. Oh my! Oh no! <laughs> were, were you able to get them out? No, you, I couldn't. There's no way you can move the street. But you know the good thing, I had a spare shoe in my bag. No way! Yeah, like everybody was tired through all their bags, their belongings. I did not for some reason. Huh? And even like when you're crossing the river, water gets into your bag, it gets like five times heavy. But, oh, yeah. And I said, like, oh, no, I'm going to carry my bag. Like, I mean, you know, <laughs> you never know. And it did work. Hey, I mean, yeah. I, yeah, I had a, not like a shoe, but like I had a sandal in there. <laughs> but it, it's going to make me walk. I mean, at least. You yeah, know, it's uh, better than nothing. Exactly. So then after two more days, we get into the border. There's mm-hmm. a Panamanian military there. So the smugglers said, like, you got to just walk like a half a day. They will be there. He, he won't go uh, farther than that. He just wow. told us, like, follow the trail and you, you get to them. And we got there, the Panamanian military. So like, okay, sit here. Uh, where you guys, where you heading to? And then they brought all their instruments, took our fingerprints, the, the what do you call like the eyelid kind of picture? Oh yeah, yeah. All those they did all this. They said like, oh, this is going straight to Homeland Security. Were you like, a, was this? Are you like a, applying for asylum or something? Or no, they just found just to let they you know. pass. 
I'll get to that. But okay, the thing is, okay. someone got into their country. Mm-hmm. They know. They ask you where you're heading to. You tell them you're going to the states. Uh-huh. They're used to it. They yeah. it happens all the time. So they, they're prepared. They take your fingerprint and everything, and they told us uh, this is going straight to the Homeland Security of the U.S. Yep, uh, your fingerprint and everything. Why you're in Panama? So they know you're coming. Yep, a long time before you get there. Exactly. Whoa. Yeah, this is something that surprised me. Yeah. Then they take you to immigration detention. The inmates that were in there, they told us like, "Oh, you got um, if you're from countries that have fear of persecution, they'll release you like exactly in a month. That's how long it takes for Homeland Security mm. to go through your fingerprints from their data if you're a terrorist or whatever you are." And so this is America. This is in it's Panama. This, but it's America. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The American government that's doing all this. Yeah, they know. I mean, someone is coming. If you are, if they feel you're suspicious, I mean, there was a Somali guy, they called him. He was 16 year old or something. He was telling us, I mean, oh yeah, have you been, are you a member of Al-Shabaab? Al-Shabaab is a terrorist group in Somalia. Mm-hmm. It, it's linked to Al-Qaeda. Uh, so they were asking him, he's like, you know, I'm, and like, oh yeah, you're, too, you're young. I mean, most of them are like 14, 15, where you're there. So like I mean if they're if you're suspicious they call, even call you wow from the states wow man yeah uh, so but if you're you don't have fear of persecution they tell the Panamanian government to deport you back to your country hmm yeah uh, so uh, exactly after a month we were released so not everybody but you know people who were had a free pass basically they yeah. ask you like how are you going to the states and I'm like uh, I don't know I'll find out. but they just release you in there too after staying I think uh, two weeks in Panama City Mm -hmm. uh, again find another smuggler you just call the previous smuggler that's uh, okay what we're doing is and they just pass you on to the next one exactly yeah that's how they work so we called him and he said like okay this guy he's gonna come pick you up this place and that guy calls you you know get your money you know, we uh, we had to use Western Union to get money and all this. You know, so I'm ready. I got my money in my hand. Okay, they're coming to pick you up. There's like, I mean, just a car at the border, you stop, and then someone comes, takes you on foot around the border. There's another vehicle waiting. Get a knot. And you just do that country to country. Yep, from like, okay, it was like that from Panama to Costa Rica to... Uh, Nicaragua. Okay. From Nicaragua, they took us to the beach. All those places are amazingly beautiful. Anyways, I just want to throw them inside. I, <laughs> I was looking at this, like, you see the resorts when you're driving, mm-hmm. like you're in the beach, like, see people riding. Like, I get it. Yeah. <laughs> I get it. Yeah. <laughs> but I'm not in that kind of <laughs> yeah, <right>? situation. <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> yeah. But it's this beautiful place. It's green to be the coast, tropical yeah. beaches and all that anyways. But it, it, it keeps it in this house, like on a beach, in a house. It, it wasn't like even a cheap house, nice house. Uh, Where you guys were staying? Yeah. And it's like, wow. Okay. Man, yeah. No. <laughs> and then a boat came. You're like, okay. A, a boat, boat came, yeah. just comes up. Yep, to the, to the wow. beach. Like, and uh, at night. Okay. And like you say, like, okay, guys, arriba, let's go. <laughs> get, get on the boat. It's like a speedboat. And I get on the boat and and the guys with me, like a lot of them can't swim. I mean, we were on a boat previously, but it was big boat. It moves slowly, mm-hmm. like when we were in Colombia. But this one is a smaller speedboat. Now we're like, our number has also decreased. Like they kind of split it us all. Got it. Okay. Yeah. And a speedboat flying through, okay, this is on Pacific Ocean. Okay. Yeah. And from there, we go straight to uh, El Salvador. Okay. So from Nicaragua to El Salvador on a boat, and we, we landed on a beach and jumped quickly from the boat, and then you climb uphill, like the beach is like on, on a hill. We went up, there's a guy, it's like a... Okay, uh, I never smelled weed before. That's the time this guy was smelling. It's like the smell was like very irritating. We were like, "What is this? What is it smoking?" 
It's like, you want one? No, no. I mean, I knew it was like a drug thing. They were just like, no. Like, I mean, it's, I mean, and also breathing hard, you know, walking yeah. up. Yeah. And then smelling is like, anyways, <laughs> uh, I just want to you know, throw that in. And so he, like, he took us uphill and like right we get we got into a road. This guy came on a vehicle and we got on the vehicle. That was a very strange place. It's about the words, very strange. Like then it became day, you know, like we were it was almost a morning when we got mm. into the car and like when we were close. You're so tired too. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. But I mean, you're tired, but you're like anxious. So it's mm -hmm. like, you know, you don't you, you don't really get it. I mean, yeah. you're just like, you know, what's what's happening next? Yeah. What's what's in your mind? <laughs> yeah. But I need we need to shower very badly. Like because like from the oceanless salt, you're mm -hmm. sweating and all that. But then I see this place like stores, like there are armed men around the stores. Like it, that place was strange. I mean, El Salvador, like here, I mean, you can tell how bad like the gang uh, war and all that is because like there are armed men everywhere. Wow. And we, we even asked him like, can we take a rest or a break, like take a shower or something? He said like, no, we're not soaping in El Salvador. You're going to Straight to the border of Guatemala. Through. Holy cow. Yeah. We went straight to the border to Guatemala, like in a house. Then we kind of ate, took a shower and all that. Got us in another vehicle. Got into Guatemala City. Like I said before, like on the border, on the, on the checkpoints, they kind of stopped the vehicle right before it. Get someone to walk you around the border, mm -hmm. for like an hour or two or something like that. And then another vehicle takes you. Sometimes in a trunk, sometimes you sit in a seat. And we got into Guatemala. They got us into like a hotel, like, I mean, not really a hotel, but it's kind of like, you know, a small kind of rest place. So this this guy that we were talking on the phone, he's the super smuggler. He came, he came to, oh, I am Carlos. Like, <laughs> like okay, so you're, he, he's the one you talk on the phone. He's the guy. Yeah, for all in Central He's America. The guy. Yeah, he tells you, okay, give him this much money. Give him this. Now someone is going to take you. So those smugglers, they give you a phone. So you're, you talk to him. Okay. He's the one he trusts. Gotcha. Yeah, he tells you, okay, give him this much. Okay, Senor Carlos, talk to Senor Carlos. Okay, <laughs> they give you the phone, you talk to him. So this guy came into that hotel. Okay, I'm Carlos. Oh, okay, Senor Carlos. I heard of you, yeah. Yeah, I heard of you. <laughs> the legendary. Yeah, is uh, he talks like he, you know, you stayed in his hotel and made a big business with him. Okay, I guess you guys are happy. We how, how we treated you and all that. Good to do business with you. Oh wow! Like I mean, I said okay, yeah, it was good, but like things are in my mind. I said like, wow, what what. Hell, it's just. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, from there he he tells us, yeah, someone will come in the morning and take you to the Mexico border. Okay. And then we we took us just regularly on a bus. At the border, there's a, like a river, a big river. There's a bridge, so, so there's a checkpoint on the mm -hmm. bridge. But at the same time, the river they see you like you're crossing like a on on a small like a canoe. So you guys crossed in a canoe. Yeah, but there's they can see you at the checkpoint. Did they stop you? No, that's the thing. It's like, <laughs> are we gonna get a canoe and like cross while the checkpoint is on the bridge right there? Yeah, yeah it's just just go. Just, no one's gonna see anything. Really? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> we we crossed on a on a canoe. Actually, there was like poli armed police on the other side of the river, on the Mexico side. They they just looked at us. They didn't even ask say anything. Oh, it was a good for welcome us. Welcome to Mexico. Yeah, yeah. yeah welcome to Mexico. <laughs> Without the paperwork. Uh, yeah. Then from there, like, Tapachula, like, beautiful colonial city, actually. Hmm. Uh, kind of, there's like a piazza, like, sh shopping area in the center. Beautiful parks and all that. Like, you know, it's easy to get into Mexico, but you can't move in Mexico without the paperwork. So there's an immigration center in there. So we asked people there. It's, it's immigration detention, basically. We turned ourselves in. Yeah. Got our information, where we're heading, what's our name, what's the reason we left our country, this and that and this. So they gave us a paper, like, you got 30 days in Mexico. So you got to leave Mexico within 30 days, but this paper will get you anywhere. 
And that's I'm, got your real name on it. Yeah, real from name. From the, yeah, the whole thing. Yeah, okay. Everything. So yeah. you're not having to hide who you are. Nothing. So everything from Panama, the military of Panama, everything I'm telling them everything, the real thing. Got it. Yeah, it's just a. I just lied in Brazil airport. Yeah. That's the only place I give them fake mm. name. Yeah. Uh, because then they they can send me back. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, it's, it's not risk. so easy in the rainforest to send exactly. you back. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, uh, then I kind of turned myself in in Brownsville, Texas, hmm. but just across Rio Grande the bridge, and there's a border patrol. I turned myself in. I w actually went alone from like southern tip of Mexico all the way to the north tip to Texas. You went by yourself. I would just yeah, I had paperwork then. I I got confidence then, you know. <laughs> so, like how did you like just taking buses and trains or yeah bus i took a Buses. bus okay through cancun actually i remember it drove through cancun i saw the beach but no you know yeah. not in a vacationing mood yeah <laughs> and no money of course i mean i have few but this is for survival yeah you know so i went there and approached the u.s immigration port of entry oh where you're from and i give them my information i mean i got there like a six in the morning and like I think it was Border Patrol first interviewed me and then two I don't know they say military personnel two guys one was very jacked they came <laughs> they came it's like I had an interview for like two hours like yeah, I mean I told them everything actually basically everything I said right now hmm. yeah Anyways, after a night, a security company came and took me to um, an immigration detention. I stayed there for 100 days. Hmm. So the, I went to court two times. So the immigration judge granted me an indefinite asylum at, hmm. after 100 days. And I got released, came to Nashville. Because <laughs> you have your family was here, your yeah, exactly. Siblings were here, yeah, yeah, yeah. So how many siblings do you have here? Three. Okay. Yeah. All. Yeah. And so, how long did it take leaving Eritrea to get to Nashville? Exactly two years. Two I left years. July twenty third, two thousand ten. I arrived at Texas Port of Entry, July twenty first, two thousand and twelve. Wow. Yeah. That is wild. Yeah, exactly three years. A lot of money. Now, how much of, did it? How much did it cost total? Do you know? Did you ever well, add it up? Uh, yeah. Uh, well, I have the number for like the smugglers. Yeah. The money I was getting for like just leave is I I I, I don't have a count of that, but uh, sure. but the money I paid smugglers is uh, around uh, oh, twenty thousand dollars. Wow. Yeah. Plus uh, three thousand for a lawyer in Texas. Hmm. Yeah, it's not much. It's uh, it's very hard. I mean, I was able to do it. I had support. Yeah, I mean, a big support. A lot of people they crossed to Europe through the northern African desert. Like I mentioned earlier, the beginning, there is like people there who take people's organs. I mean, a lot of Eritreans were going to Israel. They got kidnapped on the way, organ harvested, torture, rape, all kinds of crazy yeah. things. All kinds of crazy things. Even they spent around $3,000 to get to, like, cross Mediterranean. Hmm. And, like, very rare, like, you have a high chance of, of course, you're going to suffer a lot. Uh, like, in Libyan detention, especially after the fall of Gaddafi, that country is in chaos. There's like a slave market, literally. Hmm. Even when Gaddafi was in power and the country was stable, I mean, you go to jail there, like unimaginable suffering. But at the same time, I see like, why? Like people hear about that and they still try to do it. Hmm. Yeah, why? Yeah. You knew this wasn't going to be easy. Exactly, exactly. That's the thing. People tell you. It's the same for everyone, actually. Like when people tell me, I mean, it's not easy, this and that, with their experience, but it's like, you did it. You got there. Now you, you're on your own. I mean, you, you're you stable. You're living a stable life. Hmm. Uh, you did it. Why do you think I can't do it? 
Mm. This is what you tell people when they tell you, yeah, we've been to Europe or the States, tell you like, oh, it's dangerous, don't try it. Like, no, you did it, you made it. Why, why shouldn't I? But the thing is, immigration is not a good thing. Uh, migrating, I mean, leaving your home country to... My hope is like things get better in those places. I mean, mm -hmm. uh, in Africa, in in Middle East, especially Africa and Middle East is where the big problem is right now. So if the world can, you know, play a positive role, especially big nations, it would stop this and the suffering and everything. And those places would be good, you know. Mm -hmm. you know I mean, when I was growing up, I mean, I wanted to come to the States, but just for a vacation or for school. I mm. never thought I would come here to leave when things seemed good, you know? Mm -hmm. But I'm here. So we'll, we'll, we'll catch me up now. So you mm. you get to Nashville, and you've got a, three siblings here. Mm -hmm. What does life look like? Well, I would say the first uh, one or two years was kind of getting, you know, kind of trying to understand where I am and how things work here. I mean, were, by the time you got here, were you even healthy? Were you, I mean, yeah. from that journey, were you exhausted and just... Just normal, like, uh, you know, I had ear infection. That's when I was slipping in the jungle in Colombia. Something yeah. got into my ear. I had infection all the way here. Hmm. I couldn't get it treated because I was just taking antibiotics. Yeah. So that's how I was just like kind of, you know, taking care of the swelling. My ears, half of my face and my feet, my teeth, I had a problem with my teeth, but not really something, you know, that's permanent yeah. problem. But so I, uh, I was healthy. I kind of started actually work. I got my driving license like, you know, two weeks. Oh, wow. Yeah. And then started work like in a month. Doing what? Valet. Okay. Yeah. Working in a, in a hotel as a valet. <laughs> uh, just then uh, started school. I mean, still, I'm doing this. It might seem that I kind of doing well, but um, at this point, for more than a year, I was trying to understand how things work here. Yeah, yeah. It's like the, what's norm, what's out of the norms. Yeah, what is abnormal? It's different from place to place. I mean, I've seen. I mean, the, even the way to talk to people. If you say things to people that you say that, it's 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 very offensive or. Or, you know, things like that. Yeah. This is, I'm talking about small things. Even how to present yourself. It's very different. Hmm. Like, I would say, if you're too nice in some places, you might look weak. Hmm. And some people, in some countries, if you don't talk to that, the way, that way to people, you're rude. So all these things are very different. Yeah. They're huge difference. Wow. Yeah. And at the same time, the hardest was, Having peace with the past. That's what does that mean? I was um, it left a mark in me, uh, psychologically. Reason I risked my life. Why did I had to do this? You know, I was in my thirties now, like starting school. You know, starting life again. I mean, I'm lucky at the same time, but uh, but he said like my life had gone smooth without all this thing. I mean, the experience helps me when I now when I. I'm settled, yeah. You know, I'm not in my mind. But first, you, you you try to make sense of everything. So the past and the present. Why? I mean, who I am? Like, mm -hmm. what? Why did all this thing? Why do I have to go through all this? Yeah. I'm not telling anyone. Just like having this conversation with myself, and trying to adapt. I mean. It took me over a year to kind of like just live normal, you know? Kinda yeah. Have peace with the past and get things in place. You know, what's in your mind, the doubts and everything. I'm sure anyone can have that regardless of what kind of experience they have. But I personally had that problem. Well, yeah, yeah I think everybody, at some point, I mean, it obviously looks mm. radically different. But mm, yeah. at some point, probably everyone gets to a place in their life where they go, why? Yeah. yeah. Why did I have to go through this? Yeah. Why did yeah. this have to happen? Yeah. Yeah. Question. You have to question who you are, your you know, God, all of that. Stuff. Exactly. And yeah. Exactly. I can't. I mean, I just can't imagine the trauma. All the trauma. Yeah. It's. Uh, I was actually going to use that word, but it, I mean, is it a trauma really? But it. It is. It was. Dude, to you me. were in a 
box in a for five days where you couldn't stand up and you didn't know it was happening. Like, yeah, yeah. If that's not traumatic, what is? I know, I know, I know. And yeah, and the thing you left behind also. You think about people you left behind. Yeah. And I, you know, there are a lot of things here too. Like when we were crossing the rivers, there are two siblings I know. They were washed away by the river. No way. Yeah. And after me, the guy I left in um, in Colombia, mm-hmm. because he didn't have the money to continue the journey with us, he got tired. I think he had health issues. He got tired while not eating, crossing to Colombia. He said he would rest. Never came. Yep. Just died there, of course. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. And you just have to keep walking, keep going. Yeah. Oh, yeah. While I was walking, everybody, even the smugglers tell you, because the hills, it's slippery, it's wet. If you miss and you fall, you get your leg broken or something. First, it's very steep. You would probably die. But if you get a broken leg, no one's going to wait for you because no one is eating. It's, they can't, they don't no one has a minute to spare for anyone wow so i uh, people die i people i know yeah yeah when you're imagining what he went through you imagine those people too you remember them oh i i i might have been that person that might have happened to me it goes all through your mind yeah and even, most scary for me was even before I left there, it is being smuggled by those uh, organ harvesters. Yeah. And sometimes even if you they pay a ransom, they take their organ and dump them in the desert. This is people I know. Dude. So all these things, it comes to your mind like... Yeah, how yeah. do you make sense of that? Yeah. And that meanwhile, is... you've got to get, you got to like jump into life here and... Yeah. yeah. Make it count, right? Exactly. Like, so you yeah. got I can't, dude. I can't imagine. Yeah, that's. And so, and so, a couple of years ago, you started your own business. Yeah, yeah. And so, tell me, tell me what your, what life looks like for you now. Oh, okay. Uh, now, still, my business is, is an early stage. I kind of am doing major remodeling for you know people who want flip houses. Okay, I went to school in Nashville State. I mean, I have a construction background too. But um, I went to Nashville State, and then one summer, someone I know was like, he bought a house, a rundown house. He asked me, like, if he can remodel this. And I said, like, I mean, I sort of, like, I said, chance to see how, if I can do it. It was risky, but mm. I said, like, because I could have employed and learned, but I just wanted to jump straight into starting my own. Mm. So I took the job, and uh, I was able to remodel very well. A rundown house turned to an Airbnb. I kind of did it all by myself. Remodeled the house. Wow. Yeah. And uh, learned a lot from that. Then I kind of turned it into a business. Now I'm just like have clients come in, you know, do major remodeling, sometimes small. So I'm also trying to get into the flipping houses, mm-hmm. you know, soon. It's going well. It's good, beyond, man. It's good. Beyond, it's about time. Uh, yeah. It's beyond what I imagined. Really? Uh, yeah. Years, if I've given actually after a couple of years I got here, like I, I always had a dream, I mean, to get into the business. Hmm. Uh, but it's like I thought about it, like it's impossible. I can't do it. I mean, I can't compete. You know, there's a lot of people who've doing, been doing it for years. You know, this, that's what I've been telling myself. Hmm. But... I jumped on it at one point, and I mean, it's good. I mean, it's you're in the right time in the right city for yeah, sure. I, yeah, that's uh, exactly. Yeah, that's that's also at the same time it's luck, you know. Yeah, they say right time, right place. That's what else yeah, happened man. to me. Yeah, and uh, and are you do you live near your family with your family? Yeah, yeah. I have like my all my siblings here. My parents come here to visit. Oh, good. Uh, I have cousins, uncles, a lot. Of Big family. I mean, I have a lot more family here than in Eritrea. Really? Yeah. So this is. Do, does this feel like home? Yes. Now it's. Uh, it, it's probably a loaded word, but there is. Yeah, there is. A, I mean, I get homesick. Mm-hmm. You know, I miss Eritrea. Everything. You know, I love it. Too. I love the people. Everything. I miss every bit of it. Mm. 
but actually, generally, America has been good, but nothing for me. You know, it's I mean everything. I mean, I kind of got it even with the people, especially the when I was working Valley, that helped me a lot. Hmm. Kind of understand the society. You know, you're hmm. just communicating with every guest and all that. You're, you know, people from north, west, east, all kind yeah. of people. It made it very easy for me to blend in. And I mean, it's not about, I mean, some people say like, oh, you want to change this and that. It's not about changing. It's like when you know people, when you understand where you are, the people embrace it, then life is easier, hmm. you know? And I feel embraced as well. Uh, so it's it's definitely home. Hmm. Yeah. It's, uh, it's nothing but good, you know? Oh. Yeah, it's um, I'm, I kind of sometimes think like, why me? Why all these good things have happened to me? I mean, you know, you, you imagine people going through a lot and like, you know, trying very hard, like not making it and this and this and many bad things happening to them. You know, every my parents are alive, uh, well, my siblings, everyone in my family. It's I've lost a lot of friends, orders there and that, and it's being. All kind of things, but you know, I'm very lucky, blessed, and I can't thank God enough. Yeah, it's a blessing. Man, yeah. Well, thank you so much for coming thank by and you. sharing thank your story with us, man. Thank it's you. amazing. Thank so, you. It's so glad to hear. Thank you. Thank you. You're welcome. Whew, right? I mean, wow, what an incredible story. I'm so thankful, friend, for you coming by and sharing that with me. I'm thankful for you, friends, for listening. Thanks for your patience while I was away, for the kind emails and the comments. Um, Andrewosinga.com, everybodypivots.com if you want to learn more about me or my music. If this story sparked anything in you and you want to help, please visit compassion.com slash the pivot and sponsor a child today. I promise you it will change their life and most likely yours too. We will be back next week, or at least I'm planning on it. So we'll see you soon. Have a great week. Thanks for listening. And now go do something awesome.